and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. So, this morning I want to talk to you about emotions, and in particular anger, hence the clip. Um, psychology really rings my bell, um, and I find our humanity fascinating, and I love to understand why I am how I am, and how I can help myself figure out my choices, my emotions, my inner dialogue. I love that we are made of consciousness. Flow, God's spirit. Am I all right, sound? Yeah? Um, and within us, that we are not separated from God's spirit. So for me, the workings of our brains are a really fundamental part of how we relate to our faith, how we outwork the theology that we're learning and we're taught, and how we understand the philosophies of life in a practical way. It's a very important part of our faith journey. In fact, it's where the rubber hits the road. The psychology part is where you take it and you can apply it. Uh, and it everyday existence. So I'd love for you to listen and enjoy what I've got to say this morning and have an open heart. Because I've had so much content this morning, I've really had to whittle this down. I'd love to tell you everything I've been learning. But, and I hope the points that I bring uh, help you this morning. Um, I wanted to explore emotions in particular as I've recently been exploring the topic of anger, and in particular, in particular, is that even a word? <laughs> ah, I'll get into my flow, don't worry. The negative emotions that accompany it. There's a whole pool of emotions that have been vilified and are often cast out as being unhelpful. But why? Where has that mindset originated? What makes us feel inherently bad or good? I've come to learn that actually these emotions can be very important for our lives and our walk with wisdom. They are powerful emotions which bring us freedom and project us into a wider state of consciousness. I think they can do us good if we manage them right. It's been said that there are over 30,000 emotions. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through them all. <laughs> but I pretty much feel every single one of them when I try and leave the house with my kids. I can tell you that for now. <laughs> but the amount uh, recently has been reduced to about 27, but commonly they're all sort of centred around the big three, anger, happiness and sadness. It's a massive topic, and I've come to see that emotions are not one-dimensional. You can't pigeonhole anger or joy. These emotions can be different things for different people based on their upbringing 
A child, for example, who grew up with a strong sense of anger in the house, like, that can make you as an adult fearful of it. It can be scary. Or you can be a child who felt like anger wasn't okay in your house. You couldn't have it. So as an adult, you can try and avoid it and suppress it. Everyone can handle these things differently. So we can't come at it all with a one-fix thing. It's not how it works. Even for some people, to feel happy makes them feel guilty. Staying in the state of unhappiness means that they get what they deserve and they sentence themselves, but it all stems from something. We all have many differing ways in how we approach life and experiences with our emotions, not even to mention the Enneagram and all the differing personality types and how we all approach emotions in different and complex ways. Emotions are a fundamental part of our makeup, our internal dialogues, and how we interact with others. They are both simple and complex, exhausting and releasing. I think they are a beautiful paradox of how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because even that's a paradox, isn't it? Some studies I've read believe that emotions don't simply live within us, but rise between us. They are a transactional exchange in connection, in relationships, families, cultures, and societies. And much of how we manage our emotions stems from these origins. They can be a response to our social interactions. You tend to feel anger because of someone else, don't you, usually? But that doesn't mean that they're not authentic. I believe our emotions are, in fact, what form our humanity. Emotions are human. But how has religion played a part here? In Rob Bell's book, Sex God, he talks about how the church has tried to make us into angels when we were never meant to be. And in our effort to cure our humanity, we descend and potentially give in to our animal desires. But human is good. Have we been conditioned to believe emotions are not okay and any bad emotions need to be cast out before we descend too quickly? If we believe, and I believe we are not, separated from God, the divine, the spiritual, then how does that fit here? I love the expression that we don't know where our humanity ends and our divinity begins, that it's all an amalgamation, a beautiful mixture of the two. It's a lovely illustration of how we are totally immersed in the living spirit and energy of flow that is within us. Jenny talked the other week about the saturation of a Christ-soaked world. She explored the hypothesis that we cannot be separated from God no matter what. But so often, and I'm so guilty of this still, we separate ourselves and our emotions, in particular the bad emotions, anger, fear, sadness, grief, frustration, resentment, temptation, desire. Have some religious cultures led us to attach them to shame and then detach them from the God within us? It's shame, it's such a powerful thing. The self-sabotage of feeling ashamed of ourselves when we act out or have negative emotions. I'm not trying to say it's all okay. You know, we do cross lines sometimes. But what I do believe is that if we learn how to process our negative experiences a little better, then shame won't need to play a part. Jesus felt emotions. 
He wept in the garden. He got angry. He had fear. He had sadness. In your anger, do not sin. The Bible shows us that anger is okay, but it's about understanding when not to cross the line and move into a danger zone. I'll talk a bit about that later. But how about if we give our shame and emotions a language, a voice, because it thrives off secrecy, doesn't it, shame? So how about knowing it's okay to be more open about the things that pain us? Because that tends to be at the root of all this stuff, is that we felt hurt, devalued, not listened to. We're pained. Tony in the clip, he's in pain. And we understand it's okay to walk through these experiences and give them a voice. Then our energy can refocus into lifting that burden. But of course, any emotion left unchecked can become a problem and will fill any available space in our minds and bodies. They can run us wild in circles, a downward spiral into chaos. I'm pretty sure every one of us in here has had some sort of experience of that. When you blow your stack, you lose your mind, you explode, you pop, you crash and burn. That circular thinking that you just can't get yourself out of. <laughs> I watched a series recently on BBC iPlayer called Inside Man, and the main quote is, everyone's a murderer, murderer. you just need the right person. <laughs> Love that. Emotions are fascinating. I have loved learning about them, but they are a network, all intertwined and can rub shoulders with each other in different ways all of the time. You can be happy, but sad when you're watching maybe a sad movie. You can feel excited, but nervous, a bit going on a roller coaster ride or something like that. You can feel angry, but love the fires of passion. And negative emotions, well, I think they are the catalyst to change. The beacons, the warning flags, the body's natural reaction when something isn't right, they point us in the direction of our hurt, and our emotions help us make sense of our surroundings and provide needed input for managing our emotions and responding effectively to others. They define what it is to be human. So Tony in the clip, he's angry, and he's angry because he's in pain after losing his wife to cancer. He's given up on living life fully and is on a downward spiral of angry thinking. He's reactive and he's definitely not afraid to speak his mind. And he's often not wrong. I mean, that had been me in that clip, so that had done my head in. But how he, his truth has become quite brutal in how he's delivering it. He's understanding what's wrong with him, but he's been unable to see past his pain. You see his vulnerability a bit at the end. Afterlife, which is what it's from, on Netflix, is a wonderful story of the paradox of life. Ricky Gervais beautifully illustrates through normal, everyday people living their quirky, everyday lives how emotions are complex. And the real beauty in life is found in the ordinary. That in the pains and hurts of life, however big or small, beauty can be found in that anger and these negative emotions we can feel show us a more beautiful view of what real, down-in-the-dirt life can be 
and if understood properly, they can motivate change for good. So my son George read this book at school. It's called Bottled. And it's all about emotions and how we, can, how we manage them and filter them and bottle them up. And he wanted to read a bit of it this morning, so he's going to come up now and read, and read a page. Do you want me to hold it? Are we on? We're on. There you go. It feels so very lonely. Do people even care? But how can someone help us unless we start to share? Sometimes it's good to keep things bottled. We don't have to share at all. But if we hold everything inside, heavier bottles just might fall. However, if we share how we're feeling, it we if we talk to a trusted friend, if we pour out what was bottled, if we're honest and don't pretend, carrying bottles becomes less daunting. Things feel a little bit lighter. When we share how, we're, how we are feeling, our world starts to look brighter. There we go. I'm sorry, it's so funny. It's what, what is fantastic about that series, if you haven't watched it, is you can be laughing one minute and literally sobbing the next. It's just so powerful. I urge you to watch it if you can handle all the swears. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural psychologist, Bacha Masquita, she's called, believes emotions don't just live within us, but they actually rise between us. They form in response to social interactions and can differ across societies and cultures. She doesn't deny our emotions are not authentic or that we don't feel them deeply, but rather acknowledges that not all people will see or feel the same situation, situations in the same way. Our culture, our heritage, our gender, our social economic group, all factor into how we interpret the world and what our emotional norms are. Our emo are our emotions expressed and understood slightly differently in different cultures? I think there's some truth in that. Western culture has a heavy focus around perfectionism, entitlement, the great pursuit of happiness. Negative emotions are not easily welcomed. The British stiff of a lip. Emotional language tends to be focused on staying positive, staying the course, well-being being an attainment or practice, a bit like in the earlier afterlife clip. Illness is a state of mind. Expressing emotions can differ depending on your gender too. I think all of us can think of several examples where our gender has felt marginalized by our emotional responses. Historically, it wasn't feminine to be angry, and an over-emotional female was seen as unhinged and erratic. But for men, too, to be aggressive is in their nature, right? Really? Is that what societal norms have structured for them? And then after hundreds of years of being told that, they're now told that it's not acceptable nowadays and it's seen as dangerous and predatory. Society has changed from it's okay to not okay. It's confusing. How have we navigated our emotions in these changes? How has your emotional behavior felt misunderstood? What does your parentage say about your emotions? 
Did you feel you were able to safely express your emotions in your childhood? How was your anger received? As I said earlier, much of this has to do with how emotions were received in our childhood homes. How was anger in your house? I grew up in a house where it was okay to be angry as long as you didn't go too far. I vividly remember my mum stood in the kitchen with my brothers absolutely facing off when they were older. She literally had to stand in the middle of them and just scream. <laughs> like, I was like chucking cat, like water on fighting cats. Um, and we were kind of allowed. I saw my parents argue and make up. It wasn't an aggressive, angry house, but it was, it was okay to be like that. But when I got together with James, my husband, he hadn't had that. He hadn't had exposure to that. So when we'd argue, he'd think that was like literally the end of the world. I went, James, we just had an argument. It's fine. Like, as long as you can resolve these things. I remember one time we had a, a, a meeting with some old business partners of ours, and we had a right fallout in it. And the next day, the guy said to me, oh, Claire, oh my God, you must have been up all night talking about that and discussed it. No, we just went and watched Vikings and watched some really violent stuff on the telly, and we were fine. <laughs> were you made to feel embarrassed or ashamed for your bad emotions? Did you find that expressing it got what you wanted? If you get angrier when you were a kid, you know, sometimes you get five more minutes. Or have we regressed into internalizing them and bottling them up, as George said? Emotions can develop from a point in time. This is what I'm trying to say. A category of events that we can store up and then filter into our now. We learn what emotions work for us and what emotions don't. We learn what emotions are good and which are bad based on the reactions of others. We interpret where we stand in our environment and how we can act. And what is socially rewarding plays a role. Emotions can become our currency, a commodity to exchange. We need to get curious about our families, our histories, and the communities that have shaped our beliefs and the cultures we have learnt in. Asking ourselves in response to our emotions, where am I? How did I get here? And how do I get there from here? How about church culture? Which will vary from place to place. As Rob explained in his talk, there's a boundary set around who's in and who's out. Typically in the church culture I became accustomed to, there were two main factors at play. Church culture, where you're in, and worldly culture, where you're out. How did emotions find a voice here? Were negative emotions classed as being worldly? Did we dishonor God when we gave into those emotions? And was our humanity ruled out and we were made more angel-like? In Rob Bell's book, Sex God, which I mentioned earlier, he talks about angels and animals. How religious culture can make us either animals, worldly, or angels, divine. If we give in to our desires, we are responding to our animal urges and the temptations to ignore your conscience or sense of higher purpose. By being animals, we have no moral compass, sacrificing what it is to be human, which leads to a person to act like an animal. One thing I loved, and I hope you got it in the clip, with Tony's response to Kat's question about going around raping and murdering people, 
Well, I do go around murdering people as much as I like, which is not at all. Because <laughs> we're given that choice. <laughs> Typically, in religious culture, negative emotions and emotional reactions and behaviours are to be avoided, as the danger is too great to fall into our animal desires and our humanity needs a cure. Then there's the angel. Rob points out that this can be just as destructive because we are not angels, we are human. When we deny, this is a quote, when we deny the spiritual dimension to our existence, we end up living like animals. And when we deny the physical dimension to our existence, we end up living like angels. You need both. In regards to our humanity, church culture tended to avoid anything that got ethically complicated. The moment the waters get murky and our natural urges and emotions play out, there was something to be held in tension. Evangelical Christianity is often described as having extreme emotional traits. Happy clappy. Lots of emotions used to stir up the people. In the extreme, hellfire preaching to make you feel guilty for sin and loudly repenting or arms raised, dancing with joy, speaking in tongues, lost in the Holy Spirit, using emotional language to be a better Christian, outwardly pouring emotion in expressive ways in an attempt to move God, denying ourselves any negative emotions, and for some, blaming them on the devil, externalizing our emotions, uh, our emotional state onto God or the devil. Even in my lifetime here, whilst there has always been a huge emphasis on grace and forgiveness, there was also an underlying theme of not going against what God would have seen as bad for us, making angels of us. When I first came here, I was taken under the wing of a couple who are no, no longer here, by the way, in case you're wondering. They wanted to see me saved, the troubled teenager. I was 19 Sexually active, drinking. Oh, I won't say too much for my son. Um, <laughs> just realised that. Cringe. <laughs> but what was that more about, though? Them making my life better, or them making sure they were doing right by God in fixing me? Looking back, in some ways, I wonder if I was their vanity project because they're not in my life now. Did they care more about doing what was right over doing what made me well? How often can we be like that in our connections with others, wanting to fix people based on what we believe is right for them? But remember, we will all have a different measure of what right is. I'm 100% guilty of this, and have made a conscious effort lately to just listen to people and observe, help make space for them to find their journey whilst being available and supportive. Thankfully, Q went on a total transformation as a church and we woke up. We understood so much more about being wholly human and the beauty that is being all in with God, no matter what, no matter what. A beautiful mix of human and spiritual opening ourselves to the truth that we are both 
we deconstructed the process of fundamental evangelical Christianity and began its journey of our quest to a more beautiful gospel, one of inclusion because we were never out. However, in breaking away from this setup, there's always been a risk of feeling disloyal to that origin and culture that we had grown accustomed to. Maybe some of you struggle with that. When you go against the grain of your emotional history and what you believe you should be, it can cause a lot of inner turmoil. Freedom doesn't come without cost. How has your emotional language changed here? It's about helping each other as a community to create and construct emotions. Being a culturally socialized person is a good thing, but in the context of cultivating emotional well-being, we need to keep ourselves curious and open to regulating our environments. Don't simply accept what's being fed to you, because it's around you. You can pretty much make anything into an ism if you want to. And Anth did a fantastic talk about what isms are, which I encourage you to listen to for more info. But there's actually a recognized term called emotionalism. I think this is true when we let ourselves be controlled by our emotions. We can create a dogma and value comfort over honesty and authenticity. We tend to feel that unless we have a great show of emotion, we have not been seen or heard. We can make virtues out of them, good and bad. If I show them I am happy, then people might think that I'm not sorry. Q has moved away from that and could be seen as emotionally void because for us it wasn't an accurate gauge of what was spiritually genuine. Someone who is more led by emotions perhaps preferred the evangelical approach. I really blew it up here. <laughs> Q is probably more in tune now than it's ever been before with its emotions. Let's face it, it was anger at the system that led to its deconstruction. And that has now brought us into a freedom beyond what we had expected. And let me make it clear, I'm not saying you can't express emotion. If you feel moved by a song or excited by a truth, by all means, throw your hands in the air, cry, dance, express your feeling. It's an in-the-moment-based movement of emotion that's probably more real and authentic than believing we need to strive for God's affections. When I go to live gigs, for example, I express my enjoyment of it by dancing or singing along. Or in a song that has meant something to me, I might close my eyes and get lost in the words and melody. Feeling things is important. In fact, it's vital for our authenticity. But it's from within connecting to a sacred space inside of you that runs through all of you, the human and the divine. How has cultures that you have encountered shaped your thinking around emotions and where feelings and personal experience are used to determine our truth? What has your heritage told you? And ask yourself the questions and stay curious about the why. Chris shared this poem with me. I want to read it to you. The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, 
a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight, the dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. All our emotions are counted in. They form part of what makes us whole. However, don't let your emotions be the driver of your life. Make sure you are. Emotions are a gauge. They serve us, but not, must not master us. They do not just go away. They can be let into our house as a guest, where they can be felt, where we can feel their honest message heard. And then they leave. Emotions can be, as I explained, learned and practiced responses, often ego-based, which have little to do with truth and much more to do with the storylines that we have learned and created. If not dealt with effectively, we love to hold on to such emotions, to justify ourselves when we feel wronged, defend ourselves when we feel entitled, and assert its power when we feel pained. Without understanding how our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors work together, it's hard to find our way back to ourselves and each other. You know the feeling. You feel all disconnected from someone or out of sorts. It's horrible, isn't it? Let them, therefore, be your weather vane to help point you in the direction of your hurt. Our emotions make, help us make sense of our surroundings and provide needed input for managing ourselves and responding to others. Rather than try and avoid the negative emotions, which I'm, I'm actually not sure we can anyway, we can take the risk of attachment, of fully feeling the emotion, sit with it, engage it, feel it, learn its important message, and then detach from it once it's done its work. This is the gift and power of an emotionally mature person. Why is it there? Where has it come from? What is it telling me? And where can I go with this now? Anger. This is the one that sparked the whole thread of my talk this morning. Tony, over the three series of Afterlife, we see walk through his feelings. He starts with anger from his pain, and we see him start to transition into sadness, understanding compassion and empathy, and we finish with him finding hope in his plight and a cause to connect with, connection. He really felt all his emotions painful and raw, and that they've not gone, but they're not in charge anymore. What the series shows us is how emotions are simply not one-dimensional. We can't possibly manage them like open tabs on a computer screen or like a tick list of how to manage anger and manage grief and tick, tick, tick. 
it consumes you sometimes. We need to learn what they are telling us and let them walk with us for a while. He walks with his stuff. I believe anger can drive you to change. It can show you what has pained you. It can aid your focus and help you work towards a goal. Healthy anger is problem-focused and not people-focused, and it's still aware how it can affect others. It's pain is energy, isn't it? It's energy. And how is that exercised in you? It's easy to bottle it all up and then throw it at someone to cause them pain. Rather than living it, we try to project it away. Gandhi said, we should not be ashamed of anger. It's a very good and very powerful thing that motivates us. But what we need to be ashamed of is the way we abuse it. Anger is important. It can be an act of self-esteem. I care about myself enough to say no when the world treads on my toes or crosses a boundary. It is part of our fight or flight response to danger and has a valuable role to play in our lives. It's important to feel anger's heat, but fire can burn out of control. And the trick with anger is to let it inform us, maybe even warm us, but not let it become out of control and consume us. Anger is really a secondary emotion because it's where we go to after the original pain. It's at the root of it is often something else. What has hurt you? Are you embarrassed? Are you in fear? Are you guilt-ridden? Are you sad? Are you confused? Anger is one of the five stages of grief for a reason. Sometimes you need to get mad at what's happened. I suppose you could say anger is the emotion you feel when you suddenly wake up to the truth of what is really going on. Anger is passion and it has a cause. Often, it's probably triggered by our ego. Entitlement can kick in and expose what our expectations were, but this can lead us to create boundaries based on the values of your authentic self, your flow state, your consciousness, your inner spirit speaks to you and shows you that some things are not okay. And it's okay to feel angry about that and create a change in your life. I think negative emotions such as anger are the catalyst for change, but they are not the change. Even if you are angry, do not sin because of it. Never let the sun set on your anger, the Bible tells us. Jesus said it was okay to be angry, but do not sin because of it. I believe that Jesus is saying that choosing to stay in anger or negative emotions and sustaining them can be its own kind of destruction. It is destruction of one's own soul to give up our own inner freedom by letting the sun go down on our anger. When anger consumes us, it can be immensely self-destructive. How many people do you know live a life full of resentment or depression because of their pain? Or in the words of Eckhart Tolle, wherever you are, be there totally. If you find your here and now intolerable and it makes you unhappy, you have three options. Remove yourself from the situation, change it, or accept it totally. Basically, 
we need some boundaries in place. One could say that in true freedom, you have no boundaries, and that would be right. But the beauty of freedom is you can choose to create your own boundaries. Ain't that something? Boundaries, though, do also need a boundary. <laughs> you need a boundary with a boundary. Setting rigid boundaries that are immovable is not healthy or helpful. How are you supposed to grow with a wall around you? Soft boundaries are what I'm talking about. Knowing that there's some things that you need to process through and that a soft boundary is helpful to you. I heard a podcast reboundaries that Heather shared with me. And what I liked about it was that they said in boundaries, you can put a door in it, you can put a gate in it, you can choose who you let in or out. It's really basic when you think about it, but I love that. I love that. Being able to stop intruders coming in, intrusive thoughts, unhelpful comments, unwelcomed advice. It's about having a gate so you can choose who and what to be open to. Is it really healthy? And I'm asking this, I'm not saying I know the answer. Is it healthy to be all open and let anyone in any time of the day or anything in any time of the day or night? I'm not sure, but it's your house. So you be in control of what you let in. Having boundaries in place, soft boundaries, for emotionally controlled people is really important. If you need to free yourself from emotional control and be the master of it, then soft boundaries are required. Then when they're no longer needed, you can open it up a little bit more and expand your territory. A person in an unhealthy relationship, it might take anger to get them to make a change, to get out, and a soft boundary put in place to stop the pattern repeating. A person so overly forgiving that it consumes them and takes from them an overgiver. Maybe unforgiveness is what they need to practice a bit more. A soft boundary of saying, no, that's not okay. Fear will show you what to be weary of. Resentment might help you walk away. Soft boundaries help you enable those changes, but just make sure we don't make them hard and the emotions don't take the lead. So to draw this to a close this morning, my story. Grief came crashing into my life uninvited and brought with it a whole entourage of crappy emotions. That's why afterlife resonates with me. However, over time, and it's, I'm a work in progress, I was able to let it show me why anger can serve me, how disappointment can be managed by my expectations and not letting them be a priority, how fear can show me where to tread carefully and where to throw caution to the wind with courage, how anxiety is usually just another emotion unrecognized and it's letting me know that my internal story needs some rewriting. Envy shows me that I'm comparing myself and feeling less than, and that I need to love myself. My frustration shows me how I've lost sight of what I can fix and I feel stuck. And the regrets, well, as hard as they are, they show me I've had to learn and they've taught me.
I have been shown love in the places I wouldn't expect to see it. And it's given me meaning, a cause to live in this beautiful, messed up world. My faith is my cause. My wholeness of spirituality and humanity is what makes me want to keep going and walk through the wisdom of my learnings. My sadness has helped me evaluate life. Acknowledging sadness is important as it helps us learn empathy and compassion. Only when you have embraced these negative emotions will you be able to truly be empathetic. It's a comfort, isn't it? When you feel connected or held by someone who knows the same ache. Connection and community are important. As George said earlier, when we share how we're feeling, our world starts to look brighter. For me, grief is now my honest companion. I have learned to let it live within me without defining me and let the emotions that it brought to my door be a guest and not a resident. What are you letting into your house? What emotions are taking more room in there than they need to be? Is it time for them to deep downsize? Can you ask them why they're staying? What is it they're trying to show you? Do some emotions need to be let in as they've been away far too long? What are your foundations, the groundworks of where you built your house, your cultural understandings, your history, your parentage? Does it need underpinning and a little refurbishment? Have you got a boundary around your house? If so, make sure it's got a gate. To finish, I've got one final clip from the brilliant Disney film Inside Out, which tackles wonderfully the topic of our inner dialogues and how our emotions cause us to make decisions and changes in our lives. In the clip, Riley has moved cities and is unhappy. Joy, her usual overriding emotion, is struggling to keep sadness away. But in her plight to stop sadness, Joy ends up taking Riley on a downward spiral until finally Joy realises why sadness was important all along. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>